Amen. Oh, it's good to be back with you all. I've missed our Wednesday nights. It's, it's good to take a break, um, but it's, it's great to be back with you all on Wednesday night. And we're going to pick up our study of the book of Acts tonight in Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. I want to sort of not review, obviously, all that we've studied so far in the book of Acts, but I do want to take us back to the very first chapter to set up tonight because it's really been the foundation of what the whole book of Acts is about when Jesus said to his followers before he ascended, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what is taking place throughout this book is that as the Holy Spirit has descended upon God's people and filled God's people and empowered God's people, they have become his witnesses. And God is continuing to take more and more ground and so the, the book of Acts is really a study of the march of God through history as he continues to break down the kingdom of darkness and bring more and more people into the kingdom of light. Now tonight, I want to begin actually at the end of chapter 23, and then I want to jump to the end of chapter 24 just to get sort of the parenthesis, if you will, of the chapter and where Paul is at because that literally influences everything that's happening in chapter 24. You will notice at the end of chapter 23, where is Paul? He is being kept under guard in Herod's palace. Then at the end of chapter 24, where is Paul? He's now in prison, okay? So here's Paul, maybe the greatest missionary who's ever lived, right? Where does God have him? God has him under guard in Herod's palace. And then later on, he's moved from Herod's palace to another prison. What can we learn from that? What can we gain from that? we learn that God's placements of us are always purposeful. Wherever God has us, there is a purpose for it. God not only has a purpose for what we are doing, God is very purposeful about where we do it. Amen. The place, you see God has a place for us. Every day, every season of our life, there is a place that God has for us. And in that place, we're primarily put there to be a witness. And it's not just a witness evangelistically. In other words, God's just going to put us around a bunch of unsaved people. Sometimes that's God's purpose. 
But you and I can even be a witness to fellow Christians. So don't just think of being a witness as far as evangelism. That's part of it. But we can all be a witness to our God and for our God, and God's placement of us is purposeful. When it comes to, say, Paul being kept under guard in Herod's palace, I want you to keep your finger there in Acts 23 and 24, and for just a moment, go over to the book of Philippians, if you will, to chapter 1. Paul actually makes a comment about this time in his life in Philippians chapter 1. And I want you to see how Paul even has insight into why God has him in the place he has him, okay? And the reason why that's important is you and I, part of our spiritual growth is is learning to trust God not only with what he's calling us to do, but where he's calling us to do it. And to gain his perspective on it. And so notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is, there were people that God wanted to reach and needed to reach in Herod's palace. And so Paul was being placed there and God was entrusting Paul. Instead of looking at, oh my goodness, feeling sorry for myself. Why would God allow me to be going through this? Why would God allow me, the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary maybe that the church has ever known to be placed under guard in Herod's palace because God is actually entrusting me to be able to be a witness to many higher-ups in Herod's palace and that many people in Herod's palace are going to come to faith in Christ and because of their position and their influence in the Roman Empire, that's going to trickle down to so many other people getting saved and coming to the kingdom. It just goes on and on and on. Wherever God places you this year, Be confident he's placing you in a certain place, putting you in a certain position for a very good reason. And like we even said Sunday about David and Saul, it may have very little to do with you and may have very much more to do with others that God wants to reach through you. And that's why sometimes what God allows us to go through in our life, we must keep a biblical God perspective on it. Why does God put me in the hospital? Maybe there's a nurse or a doctor there that you can be a witness to. 
Why does God allow me to go through this season of suffering? Because other eyes are watching, other ears are listening, and God may have you go through that so that your, the way you go through it is going to be a witness to your God. This is what Acts 24 is all about. And then notice what he goes on to say in verse 14. And not only is God using this to reach people for Christ, God is using my position in Herod's palace so that I can be an encouragement to other Christians to be more bold and courageous in their witness. Most of the brothers and sisters having confidence in the Lord now because of my imprisonment now more than ever dare to speak the world word fearlessly. This is a reminder what Paul is saying in Philippians 1, 12 through 14 that God can accomplish multiple things at the same time. He always does. He's never working on just one level. He's working on multiple levels. And again, that's why you and I as finite even followers of Christ have to be careful of trying to interpret our circumstances or anyone else's and question what God is doing and why he's allowing us or someone else to be placed in certain positions because we don't know all the levels that God is working through and all the lives that God is touching through simply putting someone in a certain place. So when we read back in Acts 23 and 24 that Paul was kept under guard in Herod's palace at the end of chapter 23, and at the end of chapter 24, Paul was in prison. Don't look at that negatively. God had Paul under guard in Herod's palace and in prison for a great purpose. And as we start out this new year, None of us knows all the places and all the positions that God may put us in this coming year. But what we can be assured of at the beginning of this year is wherever God places us, whatever position he puts us into, it is with great purpose and intention. And that God has many Things he will accomplish through that placement of each of us at the same time. And there are multiple lives that God will touch simply by putting us in just one place. Because the life, say, even one that we touch in that place, how many other lives then can that life touch? And the ripples go out and out. So back to Acts 24. Keep all of that in mind as we go through this chapter. Oh, and one other thing. If God places you and I somewhere, just as he did Paul, God knows we're ready for that place. You and I sometimes question, we're not ready for that. We're not up to the challenge, or we're not up for that. If God puts you there, God knows you're ready. And you and I have to trust God that God says, I know that you are ready for this, or else I wouldn't put you in that place or that position. So keep that in mind this coming year as well. 
God knows what he's doing, even when it comes to the placement of all of his servants. And it's not, again, just what we are doing for him. It's where we are doing it. So notice chapter 24. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and an attorney named Tertullus, and they brought formal charges against Paul to the governor. When Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, we've experienced a lengthy time of peace through your rule, and he basically just, oh my goodness, it gets sappy. He's like buttering up the, you know, governor, right? He says, I beg you, verse 4, to hear us briefly with your customary graciousness. I mean, I just want to gag, you know. Yeah. But then notice what he says again about Paul. We found this man to be a troublemaker, a plague, a pest. And even the Jews in verse 9 also join in and begin to gang up on Paul and verbally attack him. What do we learn then in the first nine verses about what's going on with Paul? That God will not prevent us from being persecuted, from being verbally attacked, from being called a troublemaker, a plague, or a pest, from having charges brought against us, from being accused and slandered Again, we've talked about how God is the God of hope tonight. We've sung about that. And, and God wants us to understand, if I place you in a certain place, I will see you through it, even all the yuck that you're going through while you're there, and that, yes, I could change those circumstances. I could make things different for you. But there's a purpose even why I have you going through all that you're going through. Because I want you to learn that even as you're going through all this yuck, there's even a purpose in that. And again, it might have to do with someone else. It may have to do with our own spiritual development as well. I want to zero in though. As I, as I studied, as I meditated on these just first nine verses of this chapter, I was struck by how everything that was happening to Paul was the way our spiritual adversary deals with us. Remember, his name is Diabolos in the Greek language, where we get the word devil. It literally means slanderer or accuser. And that one of the things the Bible teaches is that our spiritual enemy will continually slander us and accuse us. He will throw things up at us. He will tell us we are not worthy to be servants of God, that we are not worthy of his love, that, that how could we ever, you know, think about doing anything for, for God? We are scum. We are nobodies. We are of no value. God doesn't love us. And listen, let's go back to the beginning. We're not worthy. But that's all about grace. And that's what the Bible teaches. We're made worthy. And we've got to learn to combat 
the accusations and the slander of whether it's people on earth or whether it's our spiritual enemy. And we've got to learn, again, to tell ourselves and teach ourselves and train ourselves in the truth of God and to stand in God's grace and be firm. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about tonight. Keep your finger there in Acts 24 and go back with me to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, to Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. There's this great scene in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. where Joshua the high priest, and this is not the same guy as Joshua and Moses and the book of Joshua, he's standing before the angel of the Lord. But notice, Satan is standing at his right hand, and what is Satan doing at even the Lord's right hand with Joshua there? He's accusing him. Think about it. Satan has the audacity to accuse the people of God, even in the presence of God. Now notice what the Lord does. The Lord rebukes Satan. Your accusations have no power and authority here. He's mine, God is saying. Go over to the book of Revelation, to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. In Revelation 12, verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them day and night before our God has been thrown down. Oh, and they have overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony accuses them before God day and night. Here's the reality, folks. We are being accused continually by our spiritual enemy. We are being slandered by our spiritual enemy. He is trying to put terrible thoughts into our heads. He's trying to get our thinking out of alignment with God. He's trying to make us feel like scum, like we are nothing. And he's trying to do that in order to render our life to not be a witness for our God. And I want you to see then, that ex- that's why that ties in to exactly what Paul is going through here. Satan is using human beings in Paul's life, to do the very work of Satan. To slander him, to falsely charge him, and to accuse him. And the spiritual enemy will do the same thing with us. And we've got to understand, again, that's part of being a witness for God. God isn't always going to put us into a perfect environment and say, now I want you to witness when everything around you is just peachy keen. No, I'm going to put you in some harrowing, troubling, difficult, out of the comfort zone circumstances because I'm enough for you. 
And I want you to learn that even in those situations, you can overcome all of these accusations. One more passage I want to take you to, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, on this particular subject. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Let's be mindful of the words of Peter here. Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Folks, at the beginning of 2024, we must be mindful of this. He is on the prowl looking for people at the oasis to devour because he wants to stamp out our witness as a church. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to be defeated. He wants you to, to feel like you are a nobody and you are a nothing and that God cannot or does not want to use you, which is not God's truth. What are we to do, verse 9? Resist him. Strong in your faith because you know you're not the only one going through it. Your fellow brothers and sisters throughout the world are enduring the same kinds of suffering and attacks. Because what Satan will do also is make you and I think we are the only ones that feel this way. I'm the only one that's thinking this way. I'm the only one like this that's going through this. No, we all go through similar attacks by our enemy. And we must learn to resist these attacks strong in our faith. And that's why it's so important that we are part of a community of believers that are growing stronger in our faith so that we can stand up and withstand and resist the attack of the roaring lion who seeks to devour us. Acts 24, let's go back there for just a few more minutes. Verse 10, when the governor gestured for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that you have been a judge over the nation for many years, and I confidently make my defense. How could he confidently make his defense? Because he was filled with the Spirit. And remember what Jesus said? Don't worry about what you will say when you are brought before judges and governors. For the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say at the moment you need to say it. That's basically what Paul is saying. His confidence is in the promises of God, the word of God, and the presence of the Spirit within him as he stands before Felix, the governor of Rome. Paul goes on to say, as you can verify for yourself, not more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. By the way, Paul uses worship twice in this passage. This word in verse 11, and then another word for worship in verse 14. This word for worship means to adore on bended knee. It carries the idea of profound awe and respect. Paul is saying, I went up to worship in Jerusalem to be in awe and wonder of my God to pay reverence and respect to my God. That is the heart of worship, to adore our God. They did not find me arguing with anyone, verse 12 or 13, because, again, he was labeled a troublemaker. 
Like he had went there and he went there with the purpose of stirring everybody up. Paul says, you can find no proof of that. I wasn't doing that. Nor can, in verse 13, they prove to you the things that they are accusing me of doing. But I confess, I declare openly this to you, that I worship the God of our ancestors according to the way. Let's look at that other word for worship. That, not, that word doesn't mean to adore on bended knee. That word means to worship through service. Paul's saying, here's something else. We worship God not only with praise and exaltation and singing and music. We also worship God through serving him. How about our service? at the beginning of this year. And he says, I worship according to the way. We know who the way is, who the life is, who the truth is. It was according to the way Jesus taught them to serve and to worship. He says, they've labeled us a sect, but here's what I believe. I believe everything that is according to the law and that is written in the prophets. In other words, I am trusting in and I am resting in everything in the word of God. In Paul's day, it would have been everything in the Old Testament. That's why he says the law and the prophets. That covers everything in the Old Testament. Paul says, I trust in and believe in the word of God. What was Paul doing here? He was giving a good confession. He was openly declaring before the governor of Rome, the representative of the Roman government, that first of all, he was a worshiper of the God of his ancestors, Jehovah. And he makes no bones about that. He is unashamed about being a worshiper. When you and I are given the privilege of being a witness. There are times where we have to be bold and courageous in, in not only standing up, but in speaking up and speaking out and being unashamed about the God that we worship and about saying, I believe this is the word of God and being very clear about that. And that was Paul. That was his Witness. You, so you can imagine here how God was not only using Paul's witness, again, to maybe plant seeds in those that did not know him yet, but how what Paul was doing and how confidently and courageously he was doing it, how, as he says in Philippians, it was stirring up other believers to be more bold and courageous in their witness and to be able to speak out the word of God fearlessly. Listen, folks, God wants us to be doing this and having this in mind in this coming year. God is going to give us as a church and as individuals in this church opportunities to do exactly what Paul's doing. Maybe not to stand before a judge, but maybe to have a conversation with somebody else. And God's gonna want us in that moment to be courageous, to be bold, 
to be unashamed that we are worshipers of our God and that we believe in the word of God, every word of it. Notice something else Paul confesses to and declares openly in verse 15. I had to grin whenever Nicole said at the end of her prayer, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. The verse that I was meditating on all day long was Hebrews 6.19. If you don't know that verse, memorize that verse. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, sure and steadfast. Just, just memorize that part. Hope, our hope, our hope in God is the anchor for our soul. That is such a beautiful picture. It is such a powerful picture because especially in Paul's day, they understood that those boats, those ships, they would never be able to withstand the tempests and the storms and the high waves and the great winds without being anchored. But when those ships were anchored properly, those ships could withstand the storms. And so what God, even in that verse, is saying is I'm not going to prevent the storms from coming, but I've given you hope, and that hope is an anchor, and that anchor will get you through the tempests and storms of life. And Paul says here, verse 15, I have a hope in God. We've talked about that verse, Romans 15, 13. Our God is a God of hope who wants to fill us with all hope. With joy and peace as we believe in him so that we may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I have hope in God. May we start out 2024 with hope in God. Not in anything or anyone else, but hope in him. And then Paul gets specific about this hope. I have hope specifically that there's going to be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, this life isn't all there is. One day all of our bodies are going to be resurrected in every last human being who's ever lived is going to stand before God, either as, his, as their savior or as their judge. We're going to talk more about that next week. But it's because of Paul being confident, that's what hope is, confident expectation and anticipation of what he's hoping in and hoping for, Notice what he says next. It's the whole reason, Paul says, of why he lives the way he does. It is for this reason. In other words, those four words at the beginning of verse 16, Paul's basically giving us a glimpse into his motivation. What motivated Paul? What inspired him every day? The hope of resurrection that one day he was going to stand before the Lord and give an account of his life, which is why he goes on to say, it is for this reason I do my best. And then getting even more specific to always have a clear conscience before God and before men. 
But I want to zero in tonight on that phrase, I do my best. The phrase speaks about exerting oneself with diligence and discipline. Diligence and discipline. Both. Exerting oneself. Share something with you tonight as we begin to wrap this up. God isn't isn't as interested in how much we serve as much as how much of us is in our service. I hope that made sense. He isn't as interested in how much we serve as he is in how much of us is in our service. I could be doing a hundred things for God and not really putting my all into any one of them. And that's why I've encouraged us over the years to narrow the focus of our life to do a few things, but to be able to do them excellently. To be able to be all in with just one or two things. And the same thing is true about relationships, too. I mean, we can't have a bazillion relationships that we are all into. You gotta, you gotta make choices. And the choices you make about who your traveling companions and partners are are huge because they will make or break you in your spiritual life. I do my best. Well, just a couple other things in 24, and we'll wrap it up for tonight. Paul, again, in verse 21, says, I'm on trial concerning the resurrection of the dead. I guess if you're going to be on trial for something, be on trial for that. If we were put on trial today, what would we be put on trial for? What would be our convictions? What do others know about us? Say, yeah, they believe that. I love this, though. Felix had some background with this new Christianity, the way. And so he puts off Paul's case. And in verse 23, he orders the centurion to guard Paul, but to let him have some freedom, to not lock him down, to let him have, be able to move about. And then I love this, and to not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Freedom and friends. It doesn't get any better than that. Paul had freedom and friends. Be thankful for our freedom and friends. And then notice in the last part of this chapter, Paul has an opportunity to witness to the governor and to his wife. 
he speaks to them about faith in Christ, and they invited him. They're the ones that sent for him and said, we want to hear about this. And Paul was bold. Notice Paul began discussing, verse 25, righteousness. In other words, God's standard is God's standard. It doesn't drop to get more people in. This is God's standard. Self-control. Why does Paul zero in on that? Because Felix and Drusilla didn't have any. And the only way we could have it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the coming judgment. Oh, Felix and Drusilla, there's coming a day where you're going to have to stand before your God. Notice, Felix became Holy Spirit convicted. Convicted. And he said, go away for now, and when I find the time, I'll send for you. Very unwise. Because none of us knows when we might take our last breath. Never put off making things right with God. I love this. They gave even a little bit of insight into the fact that he was hoping for a bribe from Paul. I guess justice doesn't change very much over the centuries, does it? Those that have money and can have influence and Judicial situations can get off a little bit easier than those that don't. After two years had passed, verse 27, Portius Festus succeeded Felix because he wanted to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul in prison, and that's where we'll leave Paul tonight. But let's not leave him there looking at that negatively. God had a purpose for Paul being right where he had him. And God has a great purpose for exactly where he has you and I. And let's not also forget that during these years that Paul was in prison, he wrote most of the New Testament. So though he might not have been able to travel, God said, now it's time to start your writing ministry, Paul. And so we even see in that God is very strategic about the seasons and the purposes he has for us and why he might change our circumstances from one period of time to another because he has a different purpose he wants us to focus on during that season. These are the things that God laid upon my heart to share with all of us tonight as we begin 2024. And I just want to thank you for starting the year with me. I couldn't have started with a better group of people than you all. And not even a better looking group of people than you all. Love you guys so much. And I'm looking forward to a great year together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for just how amazing you are, God. Lord, you're, you're in such, you're such a detail, God down to the very placements of your servants. Lord, throughout history, you put your servants exactly where you want them to be because you have great intention and great purpose and a great strategy for why you put us 
in certain places, why you allow us to go through certain things at certain times in our life. But Lord, it all comes back that you have given us the Holy Spirit. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we now have the power to be your witnesses, to be courageous, to be bold, to be unashamed, to be able to stand out and step up and, and stand up, God, for you when the opportunity presents itself. So God, I pray that Paul's example even here tonight from Acts 24 will be a great encouragement to us as we begin this new year. Thank you, God, for the hope that we have in you. Lord, throughout this year, whatever we go through as a church and as individuals, may that hope that you've given us be the anchor for our soul. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week.